Welcome to the December 8th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is Daniel 8 through 10 and 3 John, but we'll focus only on the New Testament in this podcast. I hope you're ready. Let's get started. All right, so let's begin. Uh, Let's look at this book, this letter called 3 John. Now, one of the things that we will see once again in this letter is the theme of love and the theme of truth. Um, Over and over, uh, John makes that so abundantly clear. Um, Whenever he wrote his gospel, he referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved and uh, so love is a theme in the Gospel of John, but also, you know, truth is, the, uh, is a theme in the Gospel of John. Um, I mean, if you look at John chapter 14, is it verse 6? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then when you get to John 17, verse 17, Jesus was praying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so we see the word truth showing up. And so in the the gospel of John, love and truth are consistently um, being brought up one way or the other. And as we've made our way through 1 John, as we've made our way through 2 John, and now as we look at 3 John, we see these two same themes showing up again, truth and love. So uh, just be listening for that as as we make our way through this uh, short little letter. Verse 1, it says, the elder. So once again, he refers to himself the same way he did in 2 John, and he's just giving himself a title, a formal title, uh, someone who is in a pastoral position. And elder refers to the fact that he carries the position of someone who is the older one in the room uh, so that he is the one to be listened to. He's the one that supposedly has more wisdom. Uh, He's the one who's responsible to lead, to point the direction, so on and so forth. So that's what elder, that's what elder means when you see that. But it says, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And so in 2 John, he just wrote to the elect lady or the chosen lady, but here he actually writes to somebody, and we're going to see two other names that show up in this letter. And Gaius, we're led to believe, clearly is a very good guy. He's someone that is a dear friend of John's. He is someone who understands what it is to love the Lord and to love others, and he's also somebody that walks in the truth. And so that's why John has him as a dear friend, is they share those things in common. So he says, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. That just means I love the way the Bible says to love others. Um, We share a mutual love for the truth, and so the love that I have for you is no mere sentimentality. It's it's rooted in the rich biblical agape love that can be had between two believers. Verse 2, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. So if uh, you use another translation other than the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible that I use, my translation says at the very end of verse 2, just as your whole life is going well. 
Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the King James that I grew up on says soul, just as your soul is prospering. And so some would say, really? One says life, one says soul. Well, in the original language, it's the Greek word psuche, and it can mean soul, it can mean life, it can mean self. It just refers to the essence of who a person is. And so that's why the CSB translates it just as your whole life is going well, or just as your soul is going well. So, let's go back at verse 2. He said, Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way. And so, he said, I pray that every area of your life is going wonderfully well, not just the spiritual area of your life, but I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health. And so, he was hoping that Gaius was in good health. And uh, just as your whole life or your soul is prospering. And I think that last part refers to his spiritual walk. He said, I know that you're right spiritually. And so I'm hoping and praying that the rest of your life is prospering and that your health is well. And this is one of the things that we observe about Jesus. Jesus didn't just relate to the spiritual well-being of people. He helped them. If they were hungry, he fed them, fed the 5,000, fed the 4,000. Uh, if they were fearful, he calmed the sea and calmed the storm. Uh, Jesus was reaching out and meeting temporal, tangible, felt needs too. And so John was doing that, and so should we be. We're not just about the business of meeting spiritual needs. That is by far our primary task, but it's not our only task. Uh, when we read in verse 2, John was right alongside with what Jesus was doing. Yes, I know your spiritual life is going well, but I hope everything else is going good too. Verse 3, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth. Now, the word fidelity isn't in the original language. Uh, your faithfulness to the truth, that's not in the original language. Uh, it just speaks to the fact that he is in the truth. He's walking in the truth, and that's how the end of verse 3 goes, how you are walking in the truth. So what we see in verse 3 is John said, Gaius, I have heard from fellow believers that know you, and they've, they've come and told me, or maybe they've written letters, however it was that John heard about it. He said, I am so unspeakably glad to hear that you are serious about your walk with the Lord. It's not just that I think you are. You've got people saying that you take the your walk with the Lord seriously. He said, John, he said, Gaius, that makes my heart so, so happy. And in fact, that's where verse four comes in at. Verse four. I have no greater joy than this. He said, nothing else makes me happier. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. And when he uses the word children, it's like, you know, when he used it in his previous letters, uh, it's not a disrespectful, it's not a condescending term, it's a paternal term. Uh, when John calls Gaius and all of the others children, it's because maybe he led them to the Lord, maybe they got saved under his ministry, and he sees himself as their spiritual father. And it's his job to provide for them and to help them and encourage them and instruct them. And so he said, I this there's nothing that makes me happier to know that my children, to know that those I'm spiritually responsible for are walking in the truth. And friend, I'm telling you that any God-called pastor, any God-called Bible teacher, um, anybody, any parent, godly parent, uh, knows that this is true. 
that there's not much more that can bring us greater happiness than knowing that those that we are responsible for are living godly lives, that they're not chasing down dead-end roads and going after things that will come back to bite them, but they are loving the Lord, they're growing in their love for the Lord and growing in their love for God's Word, and they're living in it, they're believing it, and they're applying the truths. John said, there's not much more that can make me happier than to know that those that I'm responsible for are obeying the Lord. Verse 5, dear friends, you're acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. Uh, I mean, we'll read verses 6 and 7 in just a second, but verse 7 lets us know that what he's referring to in verse 5 is that Gaius was helping people. Some of them were believers, and he knew them. Some were believers, and they were strangers, but they were on the business of missions. They were in the Lord's work, and Gaius was helping them. He was giving them finances. He was helping them along their way. And so verse 5 says, Dear friend, dear Gaius, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. You're helping these people. You don't even know some of these people, and you're helping them because they are on mission for Jesus. They are missionaries. They are evangelists. They are people that are telling others about the Lord, and you are helping them. He said, man, that's good news. Verse 6. They have testified. So apparently some of them came back to John and said, John, let me tell you, there's this guy named Gaius, and uh, we, we, you know, we went out to tell people about Jesus. We went out to tell people how they can trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life and then grow in that walk with him. And John, we were struggling financially. We didn't know how we were going to make ends meet. And then this guy named Gaius heard about us, and he... he bought us a meal, and he put some money in our pocket so that we would have the ability to keep on doing what we were doing. I think that's what John's referring to. Verse 6, they, these brothers and sisters, have testified to your love before the church. They've told the church about you, Gaius. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. So he said these people would not take a dime from pagans. They wouldn't take a dime. That's like the Apostle Paul. You know, he didn't want to take anything from those that were lost. He didn't want to do that. Uh, he, he wanted to make it clear that the gospel is free and that they didn't have to pay him. It was the duty of believers to give financially to help him so that he could do the work of ministry. And so he said, that these people have testified of your love, your love for them, that you've helped them before the church. And he said, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Um, basically, he's saying, keep doing that, guys. Keep doing that. In a manner worthy of God, I think, means take care of them just as the Lord desires to take care of them. And in fact, the Lord may just take care of them through your pocket. Since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Verse 8, therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Now, here, John brings in a principle. He has celebrated what Gaius is doing, 
But here he brings out a principle, therefore we ought to support. He's saying the rest of us ought to look at your example and say, yes, that's what we should be doing. We ought to support such people. Who's who's the such people? It's the people that are on mission for the Lord, the people that are sharing the gospel, the people that are helping people grow in their faith. Whether it's someone who is in a position in ministry in the church, to support them so that they're able to equip people for the same equip the saints for the work of ministry or whether it's someone on mission to help them so that they can get out and get the gospel message out. He said we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. So what's he saying there so that we can be co-workers with the truth? What he's saying is is that we may not be able to go on mission, but if we are giving financially so that others can go, then in some special way, we are partnering with them in their work because they couldn't do it without our financial gifts. And so as we give financially, then in some way, we are partners, we are co-workers with them with the truth. Um, I tell you, there are, and I, and I hear this, and I, I've observed some older folks who have a love for the Lord, a heart for the gospel, a heart for people, and they bemoan the fact that they feel as if they've got nothing else to give. They've got nothing else to do. You know, that everybody's, you know, that there are people that are busy in the work of the gospel, in the work of ministry, but they feel like they just can't participate at all. Well, there are two, at least two ways that they can participate. One, they can pray. As long as you have a mind, you don't even have to have a tongue. As long as you have a mind, you can pray. And you can pray for these people who are in missions and on mission and in the ministry and churches and whether locally or abroad, you can pray. Older people can certainly pray from the comforts of their own home or even if they are in a nursing home and, uh, you know, but they still have their presence of mind, they can pray for people who are in ministry. But also, we see here, judging from Gaius's example, that if we can give, we can give. That, that's another way that we can participate. We may not be able to go on those trips, but we can help people go on those trips to tell others about Jesus, or we can give to that ministry to, to, have, to have others tell people about Jesus. So there's no one that's too far gone. As long as you have your presence of mind, you can pray. And as long as you have a reasonable amount of wealth to take care of yourself and a little bit left over, or the Lord may lead you to sacrifice. If that is something the Lord is leading you to do, then give toward those that are in missions and on mission. Verse 9, I wrote something to the church. Oh, okay. So this is a previous letter. Now, what letter was this? I don't know. Um, we don't know what this letter was. Was this 1 John? Was this 2 John? Was this maybe another letter that we don't have? We don't know. But he says in verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. Oh, so we've got a wonderful example, a wonderful example in, um, in Gaius. We have a wonderful example in here, but now we see somebody who is just the opposite. He is just the opposite of Gaius. Apparently, Diotrephes was someone in this congregation where Gaius was, and uh, Diotrephes 
appears to have been someone in a position of authority. Now, whether that was a positional authority, whether he was one of the pastors, one of the elders, or if he just was one of the, the influencers, one of the movers and shakers in that city, that community, and so therefore he exerted his control and authority in the church, we, we don't know. But we do know he was in a position where he was able to influence the church and uh, maybe even scare some of them into submission. And Diotrephes had a really, really bad heart. Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them. I'm telling you that there, and again, I talk about pastoral things, but I think it's just because it's me and a microphone, you know, and I'm a little bit more transparent, but uh, sometimes, you know, people, they don't understand what it's like to be a pastor, and they don't, you know, people that show up and go to church and just enjoy the experience and the music and the prayer and the preaching, you know, and the Bible studies, you know, they, they may not know what's behind the curtain of ministry, but a lot of times it's ugly behind the curtain of ministry. It may be the pastor that's ugly. You know, maybe he's the one that's got the bad heart. But then again, maybe he's the one that's got the good heart, and there's some ugly church members that are behind the scenes. I'm telling you, in just about every church that I've pastored, and I've pastored four now, in just about every church that I've pastored, there has been at least one person uh, that has tried to push me around behind the scenes. And um, they did not exude um, a walk with the Lord that was that was serious. They didn't seem to have at all a walk with the Lord. They just loved power. They loved power. And they, you know, I, I saw very quickly with one gentleman in a previous church, I saw very quickly that uh, that he expected me to come on board with him. And, and I'm convinced that if I had come on board with him and let him kind of lead the church and, you know, I just am the figurehead, then maybe he and I could have got along together. But I couldn't do that. I'm the one that's called to be the pastor. And so he and I very soon got at odds and it got really ugly behind the scenes. 99% of the people in the church didn't even know what happened. He ended up leaving the church. Um, but uh, but I'm telling you, there are always, there are almost always those people behind the scenes who are going to push their weight around. It seems as if Diotrephes, though, wasn't pushing his weight around behind the scenes. It looks as if he was just out there in the open and pushing his weight around. He was wanting to have first place. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be the one who people went to, not the pastor. They wanted him. He wanted him to go to him if he wasn't the pastor. And in fact, John said in the end of verse 9 that he does not receive our authority. So apparently Diotrephes maybe was threatened by John, and he felt as if, if, if uh, the people... Um, you know, received John as an apostle, that Diotrephes may lose some of his power, some of his clout, and so he was going against John and, and resisting his authority. And it may be that the previous letter that he mentioned at the beginning of verse 9, the previous letter, maybe the church never even got it. Maybe John heard that Diotrephes got that letter, and Diotrephes got rid of the letter before the church saw it, because Diotrephes wanted to have first place. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be the influencer in the church, and he did not want to accept John's authority. I'm telling you, every church has at least one person like that. You may not recognize them, but they're behind the scenes. A lot of times they're behind the scenes. And uh, some of the people that have given me the most trouble 
are people that others have said, oh, there's nobody like them. They just love the Lord and they're just, you know, they're such servant hearts and, you know, all all this stuff. But boy, I'm telling you behind the scenes, it was a very different thing. Every church probably has at least one diatrophies. And so watch out. Well, he's not finished talking about diatrophies. Listen to verse 10. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. So he is in a position of authority because he was able to expel people from the church. So is he the pastor or is he just a member that's pushing the pastor around? We don't know. But John was saying, this is why if I come, I'll remind him of the works he's doing. It's almost like you push me, I'm going to push you back. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like John is saying, we're going to have a power encounter. That's what he's saying. We're going to have a power encounter. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know, sometimes it, it maybe is based in personalities. Uh, sometimes some pastors can't deal with conflict as well or as forthright as some stronger personalities can. Uh, but I'm telling you, sometimes somebody outside uh, who is loved and revered by the church uh, can deal with um, problem individuals, at least on the front end of a ministry, on the front end. If a pastor is fairly new and he hasn't built the clout yet, then it's it would be good if somebody else probably could come in and just deal with some of those things. Uh, it's great if, you know, people before the pastor even comes in, if the interim pastors kind of deal with those harsh things. But it's just unfortunate uh, that a lot of interim pastors, instead of preparing the church for the next pastor and dealing with problem issues and dealing with problem people, they like to be liked. And so they just ha- tend to dust off their old sermons and preach sermons that everybody loves and makes people feel good, and they pat people on the back so that people end up falling in love with the interim pastor rather than the interim pastor doing the hard work and getting it ready for their the pastor that the church is going to vote on. And it's just my two cents, but let's go on to the last part of this chapter. Verse 11. Dear friend, so this is Gaius, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil. Don't you follow Diotrephes. Don't you follow his example. Of course, Gaius is not going to. That's not who he is. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Oh, do you hear that? The one who does evil has not seen God. The one who is present tense has been has has is doing evil has not seen God. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying Diotrephes is not saved. Now he doesn't know whether or not Diotrephes supposedly has some time in his life when he supposedly said a prayer to ask the Lord Jesus to come into his heart. He doesn't know anything about that. All he's looking at is the life. And so when he looks at the life, he says, the one who does good, the one who who does righteous, that kind of good, not good according to the world, but good according to God's word. The one who is about the business of doing what God has called us to do is of God, clearly. But the one who is about the business of doing evil has not seen God. 
It doesn't matter if he's got a position in the church. It doesn't matter if he's an influencer. It doesn't matter if people love him in the church. It doesn't matter if he's got a following. If he has a heart that is evil, that is demonstrating itself in evil activity consistently, and there's no repentance, there's no humbling of him, then you can pretty much take it to the bank that he is acting that way because he's acting out of a heart that is not saved. That is not saved. Um, so do what's right, <laughs> you know. And and if we notice that in our hearts, our hearts are not right, then then we need to check. Okay, am I truly saved? Now, can a saved person have a heart that goes astray? Yes, of course. Peter denied Jesus three times, and uh, Peter also in the book of actually the book of Galatians, Paul referred to it. Peter was, you know. Uh, going over and spending time with the Gentiles. And then when the Jews would show up, Peter was going away from the Gentiles and was hanging out with the Jews. It was like he was advocating a form of racism, you know, a form of superiority of the Jewish race over the Gentiles. And so Paul had to call them out. So it is possible for Christians, not only possible, it is going to happen that Christians, that we have hearts that show up in, uh, you know, develop some bad attitudes or anything like that, and then actions flow out of that. But what he's talking about here is just a consistency to it. Someone who maybe is in the church, maybe even a member of the church, maybe they were baptized, maybe they're teaching a class, maybe they're a deacon, maybe they're even a pastor. But if in their heart they are self-centered, they are not Christ-centered. They are not focused on unity, but they are focused on their own territory and, and their own rule. They're probably not saved because Christians don't consistently long-term act like that because God's Holy Spirit is not going to be at rest. He's going to be pointing that area out. And if that person continues to act like that, if they are saved, they're not going to be able to have a clean conscience because God's Holy Spirit is going to be convicting them. And so this is what John says, that uh, be careful, Diotrephes, he's not saved. Even though he's there in the church, saved people don't act like that. Verse 12, everyone who, uh, speaks well of Demetrius. So now this is the third person that's mentioned in this letter. Gaius was a great guy. John wrote this letter to Gaius. Diotrephes was a power player in the church, and he was a, had a wicked heart. And John seemed to clearly say he was not saved. Now he's going to talk about someone who's good again. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. Even God's Word, if you could personify God's Word, God's Word, the Bible would say, yeah, Demetrius is good because he's spending time with me all the time and he's doing what I'm telling him to do. Even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. He said, even we talk well of Demetrius. Follow guys like that. Hang out with guys like that. Watch out for diatrophies. There are people like him in just about every church. Watch out for them. Verse 13. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you in with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. So this sounds a lot like how he ended um, 2 John, that he said, you know, there was a lot more that I could write, but you know what? I'm going to put the pen down because I'm just going to try to make it uh, possible to come out and visit with you because I just want to spend time with a friend. Verse 15, and we're done. Peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. And so, once again, we just hear in his closing language, 
the sense of community, Christian community. Peace be to you. You know, may you rest in peace, enjoy your peaceful relationship with the Lord. May you have peace with your relationships with other people. And he said, the friends, the friends that are with me, send you greetings. Everybody here says hi. And he said, tell everybody there, tell all of the friends there, tell them I said hi. But he says, greet the friends by name. I think that's significant as well. Greet them by name. I tell you, I'm horrible with names, and I try over and over, and you know, I finally, eventually get names down, but it just takes me longer. It's harder for me to work on that. I don't know why, um, but uh, but there's something special about calling people by name. I mean, when you say, hey, but then when you say, hey, and then you say their name, man, it's just like magic to them. They love hearing somebody else acknowledge them by name, and that's what John was calling Gaius to do, greet the friends by name. Cultivate Christian community. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this little letter that was given. Uh, once again, a celebration of two men who were living godly lives, who were living lives that were characterized by truth and love. And then we read about another man who uh, was the, uh, the opposite of what it is that we are to celebrate, a man who was power-hungry, a man who wanted to exert his authority in the church, and was, it was all about him, and he was expelling people and abusing people and leaving people kind of emotionally scarred in a place, in a church, where people are to feel loved and accepted and embraced and safe. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like Gaius. Help us to be like Demetrius. Lord, ultimately, help us to be like you. May your Holy Spirit have the ability, may we give him the permission, as it were, to point out areas in our life that, that are hindering us from cultivating Christian community, a loving Christian community, wherever it is that we go, whatever church that we are a part of. And Lord, help us in that to, uh, to be able to deal with those things and to grow in love. Grow in love for you. Grow in love for each other. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time.